ports and those things. Just a really kind of quick overview again uh, with an emphasis this time on the differences in the way the decoy behaves in those sports. So last week we talked a little bit uh, about the various um, protection sports, the European uh, protection sports, police work, personal protection, how they were different in terms of what they expected from the dog in terms of the dog's mentality. Um, but this morning I'm going to talk briefly about um, each of those sports and sort of how they're different mechanically. Uh, which ones use a suit, which ones use a sleeve, why, what's the role of the decoy in those sports, just so you have an idea. So one of the things that people uh, sometimes struggle with when they're uh, learning decoy work in the beginning or they're learning to, to do that stuff is the, um, the difference in the sports is pretty radical. So the difference between a Schutzen decoy and a French ring sport decoy and a Belgian ring sport decoy and a KNTV decoy, although some core mechanics are the same, those sports are quite different. So if you have a French ring guy teaching you decoy work, he's going to teach you stuff that's really radically different in terms of the decoy's movement and emphasis than a Belgian ring decoy would teach you if you were doing the same thing. So I'd like for you guys all to kind of have an idea of the difference between those uh, in terms of the role of the decoy. And as we go along, we'll talk a little bit about that. I have, over the years, borrowed stuff from all the disciplines in terms of training. I'm much more interested in training, and I'm much more interested in what's going on with the dog, and I'm much more interested in making the dog better. So in the beginning of learning decoy work, uh, we are basically um, focused almost exclusively on mechanics. So I'm going to talk about uh, training techniques and reading dogs and some of that basic stuff in this course. But the truth is, when you're first starting, it's too much for you to think about at the same time, right? You're just going to concentrate on making good mechanics most of the time in the beginning. So what I want to do is provide you uh, with enough kind of theory and technique so that as you go forward from this class and your mechanics get better, that you'll have a better understanding of why we do what we do with given dogs uh, to help their bite or help their targeting or various different things like that, right? So um, it's, uh, I used to, I, I, I come at this very much now uh, from the perspective of what I call a training decoy. And a training decoy, your job uh, as the decoy, you're doing the bite work. You're teaching that dog everything to do with protection work, right? So the handler is uh, superfluous in comparison to the decoy in, t in terms of protection work. It's your job uh, to train that dog ultimately. So when the exercises come in and we start making control, that's one thing. But the dog's state of mind, whether the dog feels empowered, whether the dog feels like they're controlling those situations, that's all done by the training decoy. Uh, can, you, yeah. can you train your own dog as a decoy? Uh, absolutely, within, within certain parameters. So what you can't do uh, is do aggression work with your own dog. So familiarity blocks aggression, and you can't do defensive aggression work or other stressful work like that with your own dog. But certainly, if you have a dog that is operating primarily in prey drive, or, is in, or by, we, we talked about last week uh, uh, what I call bite drive, there are certain dogs that just bite for fun. They enjoy the activity. It feels good. A hundred years of selective breeding have bred these dogs that just enjoy the activity, regardless of whether there's very much movement from the decoy, whether there's very much chase, whether there's defensive threat, all those things. They're the dogs that just like to bite for its own sake. So if I get a dog that's biting out of bite drive, is the term that we've been using, 
it's a behaviorally incorrect term, but it's a term that we use to kind of describe this dog that genetically just enjoys this endeavor and doesn't have to be in aggression or in prey chase mode to get them to bite. Um, so we have those dogs. You can work yourself for sure. And then dogs, any kind of prey work and the basic foundation work, uh, you can absolutely do yourself. Uh, you need somebody to handle the dog, and we'll talk, uh, we'll review again uh, the role of the handler in this work. And as we handle dogs, I'll probably, what I'll have happen is I'll have you guys hold dogs while other, other while I kind of coach the decoys to go through their, mo their motions. That way, uh, all the stuff that we talked about last week in terms of handling, uh, we can kind of review again. Uh, but you need a handler to make the process go during the foundation work. But absolutely, you can do uh, the bulk of the, the protection work yourself. That said, there's a certain kind of dog that, that, that causes conflict. So depending on your obedience relationship with the dog, there might be conflicts in there. Meaning if you're the kind of person that uh, has done the obedience very in a really heavy-handed way, or you've had any kind of social rank issues with your dog and you've beat them up for trying to bite you and those kinds of things, then at that point, they may not want to do bite work on you and it may be a conflict for them to do that. But if you're the kind of person like most of us, what we're doing is we're using toy rewards and stuff in obedience. We're playing tug with the dog already in a vigorous way. There's really not that much difference uh, between the foundation bite work and an intense game of tug. We're just taking that to the next level as it were. We're just sort of making a more intense version of that kind of behavior. And until we get into aggression work, then the, hand, the handler can, can do most of that stuff with his own dog, right? Um, and out of necessity, lo like lots of decoys that I know uh, wind up doing all, lots of the foundation work on their own dog. So I think the last half dozen dogs that I've had, I, d I did all their foundation work um, just out of necessity. You don't always have access to somebody, uh, uh, a training decoy that you, that you want to have. And so um, a lot of that stuff you can do yourself for sure. Um, I call it a, a dog that's exhibiting bite drive. Um, so there is, an, a, a, you see it a lot with certain bloodlines. So a lot of the Belgian line, Belgian Malinois, exhibit this trait. So because Belgian ring uh, is a sport in which the decoy moves very little, and the way the dog is evaluated is they want to see the dog kind of constantly pushing into the bite, filling his mouth. They don't like a dog that pulls back or or avoids the decoy in any way. So what they're looking for is this kind of very specific kind of bite. And then the decoy in Belgian ring is very static. He stands really still. So basically the dog has to go through a lot of crazy stuff, has to go through a bunch of environmental stuff. They'll drop plastic bottles, they'll have waters and sprinklers and all kinds of junk. And when the, but when the dog gets to the decoy, the decoy himself doesn't move very much. He basically stands there and goes whack, 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 hits the dog with a stick, but he barely moves. And that very static work means that the dog has to be biting with all their own energy. They want to see the dog pushing in. The decoy doesn't run around. He doesn't make a lot of confrontation. He doesn't do a lot of prey work. And as a result, over the last 100 years, they've selected uh, for a dog that just likes to bite for its own sake, that gets satisfaction intrinsically through the act of biting. And they'll just sit there and push into something repeatedly. And the same dog will bite a sofa or a decoy or a telephone pole or a toy the same way. Once they start biting something, they just start pushing in and digging in, and they're supplying the energy. You don't have to run around or swing them around or any of that kind of stuff. They're biting on their own, and that's self-rewarding for them. That act is self-rewarding. Um, 
in our in behavioral circles, we don't really have a term for this, right? It's not, it doesn't fall under the purview of why dogs regularly bite, right? So we normally think dogs bite either out of aggression because they're uh, protecting themselves, protecting their stuff, they're frustrated, uh, a variety of things that we've talked about last week in terms of the motivations for dogs, or they're chasing something to kill it, eat it, etc. And traditionally, that's, these are the drives or the state of mind that we've used to teach dogs to bite. And we still do in a lot of cases. We still tap into these various aspects of the dog's personality to get them to bite. But through selective breeding in, these, in, in sports and police circles and things over the last hundred years, we've actually got these dogs that now enjoy the activity for its own sake and don't bite for all the traditional reasons we think dogs bite. They bite just because it feels good to them. And those dogs, they're frequently the best dogs uh, for all of our purposes in bite sports. I mean, it's kind of what everybody's looking for uh, because the dog takes almost no stimulation to bite. And the act of biting itself is rewarding to the dog. So you don't have to let the dog have the equipment as much to reward it. Like, again, if we have a dog that's biting out of prey and possession type drive, then we reward that dog by continually letting it have the equipment when it wins carries and gets to possess the equipment and all that sort of thing, and we build the dog slowly up based on its desire to possess and its prey drive. But for the dog that exhibits bite drive, as it were, the act itself is reinforcing. So the dog will continue to do it, and even if we don't let the dog win the equipment, even when we start asking the dog for control and outing and all that sort of thing, the dog's actually rewarded in the act. So it's a very different kind of dog, and it's they're not super common, but they're out there, and it helps us to kind of know that they're there. Um, go ahead. Have you seen them in pit bulls? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yep, pit bulls, bulldogs. I mean, you see it in all breeds occasionally, uh, all, the, all the working heritage breeds, right? It's just much more common in the Belgian Malinois because the Belgian ring sport and some of the sports and now the, have selected for it as a part of their process, right? Their, their sports are such that... Um, they don't get, the dogs don't get a lot of stimulation, and they get extra points bite-wise if they bite a certain way. So they're really specifically looking at a kind of bite where this dog's pushing, pushing, pushing. That's the, in Belgian ring, that's the bite that they prefer. And as a result, they've kind of selected for these kinds of things. And in Schutzend, for instance, they reward the bite that doesn't move. The dog that bites down, it doesn't move their grip at all, and they're constantly letting the dog have the equipment as a reward. So they select kind of for a dog with a very calm bite and a lot of possession. They frequently use possession, the desire to keep and hold and carry a piece of equipment as a reward for those dogs. And then they stress them in various ways and channel that energy into the piece of the equipment and then the dogs get to possess that piece of equipment as a reward. So the system in Schutzend, the IPO system, doesn't really select for a dog with bite drive. Right? It's a, that's just not a part of the way the training process goes. Not that those people all don't like it when they see it as well. They definitely do. But there's no uh, selection intrinsically wired into the, into the sport to select for it. Huh? So that's why you see it much less frequently in the German heritage breeds. In the German Shepherds, the Dobermans, uh, the Rottweilers, all the dogs that are basically using Schutzen as their primary breed test, you see this less, less commonly with them. Although it does exist. I see German Shepherds periodically that are this kind of dog. They really like it. They'll just sit there and bite and bite and bite and dig in. But it's much less common uh, in, in them than it is in the Belgians. And some of the alternative breeds. I see it, you do see it in pit bulls. I've seen it in bulldogs. I've seen it in, I think I've seen it in virtually any of the protection sport breeds at some point or another. 
it's just much less common outside of the, the Malinois circles. Um, so uh, what we're going to go through here this morning is a kind of quick review of, uh, of all those sports that we talked about. But I'm going to talk specifically this time about the decoys and how they behave in each of those sports. Because a lot of what we talk about over the course of this week will be techniques borrowed from each of these sports individually. So there will be something that we've borrowed from bite development in the Belgian ring. There will be something we've bar bar borrowed from in terms of technique and movement from the French ring. There will be a lot of sleeve techniques and things that we're borrowing, of course, from Schutz and, and IPO. Um, the KNPV program also has certain things that we tend to do uh, in terms of bite development, ways we move, way we learn to catch a dog, and a variety of things. So we're going to do, as we go through the week, we're going to do catches on dogs, and we're going to work dogs and, and very different body placements. There's going to be bites in your shoulders, bites in your arms, bites in your legs, bite on the sleeve, each of these various things. And each of these sports tends to favor technique in one avenue over another. And so the technique, so if I'm looking for a very quick dog that really understands leg technique well, uh, and it makes it, and it's very difficult to make miss you, uh, try to, there's a, uh, something in the French they call it esquive, where it's where the decoy tries to make the dog miss them as they're coming in. They call it, it's basically French for escape, where they try to get away from the dog coming in. So the French have become sort of over the years experts at teaching dog techniques that prevent them from being a skeeve. So these dogs can change direction really well. They learn to shift target areas really well and a variety of things like that. So as we go through, there's going to be techniques we've borrowed from each of these sports. And I just kind of want you guys to know a little bit about the sports, the decoys, what those sports are looking for and that kind of thing. So when somebody mentions, hey, I learned a shoulder, uh, shoulder and armpit style catch, KNPV style, you'll know what that is, right? So you'll have an idea of where that's coming from, because we borrow from all of these. And like we talked about last week in the protection theory, these sports are primarily what have driven the evolution in protection dogs and protection training over the last hundred years. So virtually all the dogs and all the knowledge that we have about protection training and that sort of thing have come from these various sports over the years, right? And so if we have a little bit of an understanding about the sports and what they look for and what the role of the decoy is, that'll help us uh, um, borrow different things from different people. So as you move forward from this class, when you start to encounter people, again, if you're talking to a KNPV guy, he's going to give you frequently very different advice than a French ring guy would. Right? And, let's, and that, this way we can know why and which, it, and which tools we can use from each of them productively. Okay? So. Uh, we'll start this morning with a just, I'll quickly run through our, those sports again. So uh, the sports that we've ta we talked about last week are KNPV, which is the Dutch sport. Uh, and KNPV is a basic pre-police dog certification. So what it is, is it's a one-time cert. Very few of those dogs go on to compete repeatedly. It's a one-time certification. Most people in Holland put a certification on a dog and then sell that dog to a police department or the military and start another dog. It's kind of their hobby. They raise one up, they take it to certification, they certify it, and then at that point they sell it and they start another one. The vast majority of dogs in the KMPV go like that. And then there's a very small percentage of those people that keep the dogs and go on to what they call uh, the second level in KMPV. There's a kind of competition level where people compete against each other, but it's a much smaller percentage of the dogs. KMPV is done in a bite suit, so it's another one of the bite suit sports. Um, the suits they use are very heavy. Um, it's a very old suit. 
the traditional suit that they use in competition or in for certification is the same suit they were using in 1910 or whatever it is. And it's a very heavy leather gauntlets underneath. 